Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the Heredity Podcast. This month, we'll explore the genetic basis of resistance to bovine tuberculosis in cattle and take a look at exciting new advances in mammalian tissue regeneration. I'm Jeff Marsh. Bovine tuberculosis has cost the UK and Ireland hundreds of millions of pounds in recent years, with compulsory monitoring followed by culling and movement restrictions in positive cases. It's also the cause of badger culling and poses significant risk to humans in the developing world. A potentially powerful approach would be to selectively breed cattle that were more resistant to the bug in the first place to complement existing control strategies. Previous studies have shown that resistance to this pathogen is significantly heritable and several candidate loci have been identified. Professor Liz Glass and Mairead Birmingham from the University of Edinburgh have more robustly explored the genetic basis of bovine TB. They and their team did this by performing a genome-wide association study on Holstein-Friesian cattle in Northern Ireland, using more animals and more powerful genetic tools than previous studies. Their results could spell good news for cattle, humans and badgers alike. I spoke first to principal investigator Liz Glass. Bovine TB in cattle is caused by Mycobacterium bovis. Its risk to cattle is quite similar to the risk um, of the equivalent to humans in the sense that it's mostly aerosol transmitted and it causes similar symptoms affects the lungs particularly. In fact, most of the cattle never actually get to the point of having bad clinical signs because of the monitoring. Okay, and so what scale is the problem then amongst cattle in the UK and Ireland? So the national herd incidence in the UK and Ireland is around 4% and around 8% in Northern Ireland. However, Scotland, luckily for it, is bovine TB free. Okay, so this is a nasty bug and it's not something that we want in our cattle. What is the current method of control of this disease? Okay, so the current method of control is statutory skin test, which is carried out on a regular basis. Cattle that test positive for the skin test are culled and the herd where those cattle are, all movement is restricted until the further skin tests are completely negative. Okay, and is that a foolproof technique? What are the difficulties there? The TB test involves a lot of labour in the sense that vets have to come and administer the substance and come back later and measure the skin thickness. In addition to the skin test, all meat that's destined for human consumption is checked in the abattoir for TB lesions. So as you can imagine, it's quite a labour-intensive process 
and requires a lot of input. Right, so that, as you said, is a fairly resource-intensive set of procedures. But it's been noticed that some cattle are actually more resistant to the bacterium in the first place. Tell me about the potential approach of using host resistance as a, as a mechanism for avoiding infection. Okay, so when the Mycobacterium bovis enters the animal, the first thing that happens is that the innate immune system recognizes the bacterium and we believe that the resistance that we have measured in terms of genetics relates to this initial recognition and in fact happens before the acquired immune system can kick into action. So there have been a number of studies that are quantitative genetic studies that suggests very clearly that there is a genetic basis to resistance. In a nutshell then, what was the aim of your study? The aim of our study was to use the new genetic markers that have become available to actually try to compartmentalize the genetics into regions on the chromosomes with the ultimate aim that we could use this information in a practical way to have genomic selection for increased resistance to bovine tuberculosis infection. Thank you, Liz. Now let's hear from you, Mairead. You're the postdoctoral researcher who set up and conducted the experiment itself. What sort of analysis did you perform on the cattle? Because we have relatives in our data, Holstein Friesians are highly related. Therefore, for this reason, we had to account for family structure when we were conducting genome-wide association study. Therefore, we had to fit a relationship matrix while we were fitting the SNPs in our association study. This removed any possibility that we'd have confounding or false positives resulting from structure in our data. In the second analysis we did, it's called regional heritability analysis, and it allows you to capture the additive variance across many SNPs in a genomic region that would otherwise not be captured in a genome-wide association study. And this allowed us to verify our associations identified from genome-wide association. Is there then a genetic basis to host resistance? We've demonstrated previously in two studies in Ireland and the UK that there's definitely exploitable variation, but the good news about our study is that previously to conduct these studies, you needed both information on the phenotype itself and you needed pedigree information. But our study has demonstrated that we can conduct our analyses in the absence of this information, that we can capture genetic variants from genomic data. And how many genes were responsible then for this resistance? We identified two regions, but combined they only explain 10% of the estimatable genetic variance in our data. The remainder of the genetic variance was explained by all 600,000 SNPs in the analysis. This demonstrates it's a very highly polygenic trait, with many, many loci contributing to the trait variance. But presumably resistance is down to other factors as well as the genetics. Yes, that's very important. You've also got environmental contributions and the fact that you have to have an epidemic prevailing to get trait expression. And so, um, in your opinion then, how could we use this improved understanding of the genetic basis of resistance um, to protect our livestock? So traditionally, in livestock breeding, they needed both pedigree and phenotype information 
Thus, one could only acquire phenotype information when there was an ongoing epidemic. However, now we've demonstrated that we can also estimate genomic values for resistance tuberculosis in the absence of this information. And secondly, we can also conduct genomic selection or select for increased resistance in populations that are not, do not have pedigree information or unrelated populations, indicating that genomic selection is possible. And so um, back to you, Liz. The ultimate aim, as you, as you said, was that this information would be used for potential selective breeding to just breed the resistant cattle How, what, what do you think about the plausibility of of that surely that would take such a long time that the bacteria would have enough time to evolve new techniques to get round resistance okay well of course that is a possibility but there is not that much evidence that the bacteria varies compared to other bacteria this might be because it occupies a very specific niche in the animal, which is essentially inside the very immune cells that can kill it inside macrophages. And perhaps because it lives within this niche, it may be constrained in terms of how much variation. We're hoping that if we are able to apply genomic selection, the process itself would be much quicker than using the national genetic evaluation type schemes because we would be able to apply this very quickly as the structure of the dairy industry is such that there are only limited numbers of sires and they produce many offspring. This isn't going to replace other techniques, is it? This is sort of going to fit into a multi-pronged approach to dealing with bovine TB. Oh, absolutely. The bovine tuberculosis and the bacterium-host interaction are very complex and therefore require complex solutions. We propose that you could use breeding for more resistant animals not in itself, but together with other control measures. Perhaps vaccination would be one way of either vaccinating the cattle or indeed vaccinating the badgers. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, and is, is, is this all just sort of theoretical pondering at this point, or is there a real plan to roll this out? There is a plan for national 
genetic evaluations for resistance to bovine TB using the pedigree data and the statutory data. And uh, myself and colleagues at the Roslyn Institute, at the Agri-Food and Biosciences Institute in Northern Ireland and Scotland's Rural College have now got a new grant in which we will try to combine the results from our heredity paper as well as results that are going to be collected from England and Wales and also our colleagues in the Republic of Ireland to develop what we hope will be robust predictors of greater resistance to bovine tuberculosis infection. That was Liz Glass, and before her, Mireille Birmingham from the University of Edinburgh. Various invertebrates, and even some vertebrates like the salamander, can totally regenerate limbs and organs. But sadly, mammals are generally not capable of mounting this regenerative response. That was until a very specific strain of mouse, the MRL mouse, was created. This animal displays regenerative responses in a number of different tissue types. Ellen Heber-Katz from the Wistar Institute in Philadelphia and her team set out to find the genes responsible for this peculiar trait, and I gave her a call to hear more. Regeneration is a type of wound healing, but it is different than wound repair, which you normally see in humans, and you produce scar tissue and you really do not see growth of new tissue. So if you are looking at a limb, for example, you don't see a developmental kind of response. You do cover the wound and produce a scar. What happens in regeneration is that if you're looking at a limb, for example, you would get a new limb, new cartilage, new bone, new nerves, and everything would function perfectly. Yeah, and so many of us will have heard of, you know, limb regeneration and stuff in invertebrates, and even some vertebrates like the salamander can totally regenerate limbs. What's the story with mammals? It is generally believed that mammals do not regenerate. Yes, they regrow bone marrow, liver, specific tissue at the dermis, but in terms of epimorphic regeneration, which is full organ limb regeneration, you don't see that. This mouse that we've been looking at for quite some time does show epimorphic regeneration. And there have been many groups who have looked at this mouse and found that indeed there is regeneration. Let's just be clear, we're not talking about regenerating a whole leg, are we? At this point, no. But if you do injure the digit, for example, there is growth. And you do see this blastema, which is formed in this animal as well. Okay, so this is more than just scarring. And you mentioned there a blastema. What exactly is going on in these ear holes is what you were actually physically looking at in this paper. In a mouse that doesn't regenerate, what happens is you make a hole in the ear and the epidermis covers over the wound, but there's no extension and therefore there's no closure of the hole. But in these mice, you see absolute extension through the blastema formation and growth 
and then the hole closes, and then you get cartilage growth. And this isn't just happening in any old mouse. This is a, a particular special strain. Right. The mouse that we initially looked at was the MRL mouse, and it actually is an autoimmune mouse. It was bred using four different strains of mice, and one of them is the large mouse. And the large mouse actually makes up 75% of the MRL genome. And so was this strain of mouse just a sort of happy accident? It was bred for something completely different? A totally happy accident. We were actually studying autoimmune T-cells. So we put two groups of mice together and ear-punched them. And when we went back and looked at the mice, there were no holes in the ears. And we thought, well, you know, what went wrong with this experiment? So that's how we found it. And so these special mice then have this unique ability to regenerate. And the aim of your study was to shed some light on the genes responsible for this phenomenon. Absolutely. So the mice were made to increase the degree of recombination. And that's the major problem with the F2 crosses. Essentially, you get these very large regions that are generated from crossovers. And what these advanced intercross lines are, are multiple intercrossing. In this case, F34s were used. So there were 34 generations of intercrossing. So in a nutshell, you cross these lines because you're looking for quantitative trait loci behind this regeneration. But this, this other breed of mouse allows you to just get a higher resolution in that mapping. Absolutely. That's exactly what you're doing. Okay, so you were left then with this much more precise map of these quantitative trait loci. What do you know about the genes behind this function? Well, there were 34 genes that we identified as being the most likely to be candidates. That was based on regions that were polymorphic between the healer versus non-healer. And those genes were then analyzed in terms of gene expression. And we did a function analysis. And there were many things that we had been studying in the MRL mouse that really associated very well with the genes that we had identified. And two of those genes were part of the developmental pathway one was Win3A, which is clearly an important molecule in regeneration, seen in amphibians and more recently in digit regeneration in mammals. And two other molecules were involved in metabolism. Now, we had found that in the MRL, these mice use aerobic glycolysis as their metabolic state. This is seen generally in embryos and tumors and one was RNF7, and it turns out that in the healer, RNF7 is almost off. So I think that this molecule, RNF7, could be the key molecule. And so what's the ultimate goal of all this? Can you use these candidate genes as some sort of holy grail of regenerative medicine? Yeah, absolutely. And we are currently doing experiments to turn off RNF7 and see if we can upregulate the regenerative response in, in mice that normally don't respond, n normally use wound repair instead of regeneration. We're um, looking at both RNF7, we're looking at regulating HIF, 
and I must say we're getting positive responses, but I mean, there are also cell cycle genes that are incredibly interesting and a large number of them in this pool of 34 genes that we identified. So clearly there's something going on there. And we had previously identified a cell cycle molecule, P21, as a molecule that is absent in the MRL, and when you knock out P21 in a normal mouse, you get regeneration. So there are consistencies with with cell cycle and DNA damage, as well as developmental genes that coming from this study that I think are really going to be a key in, in turning on the regenerative response in mammals. But, but, I mean, if I asked you to kind of look into your crystal ball uh, 20 years into the future, can you see us using kind of uh, gene therapies to regrow human amputees' limbs or something? I certainly believe that P21 is definitely going to be such a molecule, but I also think that other molecules that we identified may be the same, may be in the same pathway. And I also think that RNF7 is going to turn out to be a really important regulator of regeneration. That was Ellen Heber-Katz. And that's it for this episode of the Heredity Podcast. We'll be back again in a month. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.